Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hardcore Surf History. If there's one thing in my life that's missing, it's the time that I spend alone. Sailing on the cool and bright clear water There's lots of those friendly people They're showing me ways to go But I never want to lose their inspiration Time for It's time for a cool change. And now that my If you know this song, you know. And if you don't know this song, well, it's the closing song of Jack McCoy and Dick Cool's famous movie, Storm Riders. And when I was about maybe 10 my brother Jamie had introduced me to this movie. And the end segment was of Wayne Lynch and Maurice Cole in Western Australia at the bluff, catching perfect waves, communing with dolphins. And it was one of the most kind of trippy segments. Uh, they were camping out, living rough, and it just, I don't know, I just remember Jamie, my brother, going to me and saying, Tyler, do you know who this is? And I said, no. And he goes, it's Wayne Lynch. And at the time, I, I didn't know. And he said, you know, he's the reason we all surf the way we do. He caused it all. He started doing all the vertical turns and everything. He started it. And at the time, you know, I'm 10 years old. I, I didn't really know <laughs> the impact uh, that Wayne had at the time, but that segment always stuck with me. The song, of course, did as well, and the song before it, This Is The Ritz, which is also a great, great uh, soundtrack to it. Um, but I just remember Wayne, that oh, he always stuck with me, and I remember seeing in the Surfer Magazine article with him and Tom Kern at uh, Easter Reef, and then there is the famous shot of Wayne at massive Mundaka in the late 80s. And his mythology grew. 
but it really wasn't for me until Litmus when everything kind of came together of what type of person Wayne was and uh, how he had these morals and ethics and uh, thoughts about surfing that was really fresh to me at the time. I must have been about 15 or 16 when Litmus came out and it really spoke to me. And um, over the years, you know, I started to do more and more research and learn more about Wayne. And then in about 2013, uh, they were uh, out promoting, um, you know, uh, this film that he had done, um, Uncharted Waters. And uh, they were coming through to New York to show it. And an opportunity came for me to interview him through Wax Magazine, which was a New York uh, City-based surf and art magazine. And so they asked me if I would do the interview with Wayne, and I jumped at the chance, and it was phenomenal. It was amazing, and I totally was super stoked. And so we went, it was me, uh, photographer Rob Kolasek, who uh, was also a Bing rider at the time, insane surfer, and uh, Dave Yun, who was the editor of Wax Magazine. And um, yeah, we got to just hang out for almost like two hours with Wayne. And I cannot tell you how cool he was. And sometimes I'm weary of meeting, meeting my heroes and meeting the people I've always looked up to. Meeting Wayne was, he lived up to it. He exuded comfort confidence he was comfortable he was frank he was honest and enjoyable to listen to and so what uh we have here to go with the reluctant messiahs uh episode that we did uh, is a complimentary interview that i did with wayne fully uncut uh we hope you enjoy and uh, we'll catch you all down the line thank you for listening When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. It's the 
time that I spend alone Sailing on the cool and bright clear water Record this actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, yeah. Sorry, I should have. No, you're good. I should have warned you I was going to bust out into bullshit. No, I love it. It's awesome. <laughs> bust away. Bust away. <laughs> but, you know, like at home now, you see it on TV, uh, surfboard in the background on a, on a morning, you know, Good Morning Australia type mm -hmm. show, or, you know, on football panels, the guys will be talking about going surfing and, oh, you know, on and on and, and every little thing you can. Even, even, um, even really uh, expensive cars like Mercedes will have something to do with surfing, and I mean that's that's beyond anything. That's ever, Didn't you, you ever imagine, right? I mean, it was the last thing they'd want to associate with. Yeah. I mean, really, the last thing. Mm -hmm. So now it's 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 quite remarkable. Obviously, because money came into it. What do you think about that? I mean, like something I feel like I struggle with sometimes, like. We, I just did a trip, uh, the Inertia's website, they, Banana Republic pop, you know, reached out to them, they said, we want to do a photo trip, do you have surfers that would want to do a surf trip? And I had to put it together and they gave us, they paid for our trip. Yeah. And it was great, I got to get go on a surf trip with my best mates and like, we had control, creative control and everything. And it was, I was like, well, it's Banana Republic, so, you know, like, am I selling out or is it something more... You know, like taking advantage of a really good situation. What did they want? Tourism? Uh, no, they they did clothing. They wanted us to wear their clothing. Oh, doing I see. Photos. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with earning a living. I suppose the thing that I I struggled with most was that it got so big and became so. Um, I mean, it, you know, at, at some point you got to say there's greed involved once things hit billions of dollars yeah because people come into it that have no feeling for surfing no understanding about surfing and aren't really interested in surfing yeah mm -hmm. they just want to make a buck off surfing yeah. and then and then the money gets quite big and everyone starts to see it and people come into it they go oh, how can I make something out of this so you're not getting people contributing you're getting people working out ways to make money yeah. and I'm not against that I don't mean it that negative yeah you know, but unless you can really do something worthwhile, you know, you get some pretty weird shit stuff that happens. So, yeah. You know, I mean, it's then it becomes no more than just a business. And surfing's got nothing to do with it. Well, it's and it's a, a it's a finite resource. You know, resource is a funny word, but um, you know, there's there's only so many surf breaks. There's only so many amount of people that you can put onto that that break before mm -hmm. it becomes an absolute congested nightmare of aggression and whatever. Rats in the cage type scenario. Yeah. And then surfing's ruined. A lot of that sense of freedom and relationship you have with the ocean and the, and the guy surfing is just suddenly gone because it's just a, another form of, um, you know, selfish, competitive, you know, anxiety-ridden whatever. When it, at its worst, yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, of course. But, you know, I mean, that's probably not there yet, except for certain areas in the world. But the way it's going, it's going to become pretty uh, widespread. I mean, it, seem, it feels 
to me, at least, it feels somewhat inevitable. Yeah. Unfortunately. And it's like, you just almost have to make the best of a bad situation. That's true. I mean, acceptance mm -hmm. is your only real um, way to approach anything that's difficult because you, you don't get you know, caught up. Or redirection. Negative. Yeah. But, you know, I think, like I can only talk about Australia, but, you know, the Surfing uh, Association down there, what do they call themselves? Surfing Australia? Yeah. I think their goal, I saw a thing, their goal was 80,000 a year they want to be introduced to surfing. Oh, Jesus. Why? <laughs> you know? <laughs> because the people that were drawn to surfing right throughout, you know, my lifetime until, let's say, what, when it really began, what, the late, oh, right up until, you know, the so-called new millennium, I suppose, mm -hmm. people came to surfing fairly organically, it was yeah. because they had an interest or they looked at it and, and said, gee, I'd like to try that, or there's something fascinating about that the culture of it in a genuine way, you know, and they, they, they came into surfing with the idea of learning, but once you commodify it and, and bring people in at that level, they don't care, yeah. they're just out there to get what they can, you know, so it breaks down the culture and starts to fragment, and, and there's a lot of negative repercussions in the long term if you don't somehow uh, try to keep that real culture alive that's mm -hmm. not just business it's not just competition it's not just you know I think I feel like surfing is gonna become like uh, in some ways like skiing or snowboarding on such a mass level like so many more people ski and snowboard yeah. and you have the people who do it a few times a year, or maybe just for summer. Yeah. And then you have people who will do it, you know, who will be more involved with it, and I think it will segment, and you'll have lots of fracturing of surfing and surf cultures, yeah. maybe, where that you'll have lots of subsets, like yeah. in pockets, and, yeah. and... that's what's happening already. Yeah, you know, and that's... On one level, that's kind of nice, because that's something that the big companies maybe can't always co-opt because there's well, just so many fragments. Yeah. And, but on the other level, it's like, you know, the peop there's a lot of people then who will have no sense of history, no sense of yeah. the specialness, and no sense of even the environmentalism of, of yeah. surfing, you know? But the difference between surfing and those sports is the unpredictability of it, I think. Like, Skiing's pretty unpredictable. Well, I mean, you, you definitely can definitely go, but you'll never get good slopes, conditions. Yeah. You know, those things can be controlled, but with surfing, you, you can't really predict, like, especially here, like, the exact conditions and control all that experience. And I think that's, like, one of the things we all probably love about surfing. And yeah. the thing that might also protect it from becoming, Two words. like, skiing in that way. Wave garden. Yeah. <laughs> These wave pools, you know, yeah, they're trying I, that's, to... That's what I think, you know, especially, like, imagine if he could have four of them in the well, city. be the worst thing for surfing, I think. Be? The wave, like, wave pools. They'd be the best? I think the worst. Really? Why is that? I think you'll have a lot of people who uh, are, who grow up surfing maybe completely disconnected from the environmental aspect. Oh, and, that's, that's a good point. And they'll never truly, they'll paddle out. You'll get a lot of people who... You know, it, it actually happens in Germany. A lot of people learn to surf on the Eisbach. Yeah. And then they go to France to surf, and they have no clue how to read the ocean, yeah. how to defer, you know, to locals, or how to behave in the water. 
might become more dangerous. You know, and, may, and people are used to predictable waves where it's like, you know it's going to break right here every, yeah. you know, it's just this perfect little wave and they get out in the water and it's like, they have no clue how to negotiate that. And it becomes more dangerous possibly in the water. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I never thought of that. I, I thought the, the, the wave pool might be good for the professional surfing thing because you take it away from the coast, take it away from exploiting areas. Yeah. They really don't need it. Yeah. And you put it where the population is, you don't have to take the population to the to the contest. That looks sounds so boring, doesn't it? Competitively um, it becomes like well look other than the surfing competition is boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it is. Well the you characters know, in it can be the surfers are you know, I mean yeah. they're, they're fine, but everything else about it's <laughs> I don't mean to knock the guy no, surfing. Yeah. The surfing's brilliant, but you know, it's so structured and corny. And you know, where I live, particularly, like the Bells Contest used to be like a, a genuine festival where people would come and there was all sorts of, you know, different aspects. Like the Krishnas would be there with their really good food, and the, you know, you have just lots of stuff going on. Yeah. And now it's so structured and. Instead of just people milling around and, and interacting, you have, you know, the rip curl stand and mm -hmm. the quicksilver stand and the mm -hmm. whatever stand, and then there's a public stand, so everybody's isolated in their cliques and that. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's great at all. Yeah, well, definitely comp the competition side. But there's, you know, but there's, those festivals still are out there, you mm -hmm. know, like, I'm doing one at the end of June, July, and it's all mixing our whole community together. Yeah. And there's San Sebastian, Spain, where they have one of the greatest surf film festivals in the world, and it's like this wonderful clash of cultures. Yeah, well, that's case that had just been to that with, with that film. You, you were? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a friend of mine. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he took the film Uncharted Waters. Oh, sweet. There, so. He said it was amazing. He was, he was really surprised. Yeah. What it was, what the what the uh, festival was. Sancho who runs it is a legend. That's uh, right. The, the guy Sancho who runs it. Yeah, is that's it. A yes. legend. Yeah. He's the nicest. Yeah. Coolest guy ever. And, yeah. Uh, and they have really good food. <laughs> the little pinchos are so good. You know, and look, we spoke about a few negative things. There's always, there's always, you yeah. know, the two sides. Yeah. You know, if you get caught up in one, you get a bit down and out of it, but there's, there's always great sides to it, and I think there's a lot of things in surfing that have given a lot of people great opportunity mm -hmm. that you didn't have way back when. Yeah. You know? it, it, it's definitely, you know, some people would argue the more people you get into surfing, the more they'll become aware of the ocean and be more, want, you know, maybe active and in policy and shaping you know, the, the government policy to be more environmentally friendly yeah. or, you know, there's that argument, you know, to it. I guess, like you said, there's going to be both. There's going to be negatives and, and yeah. positives and maybe it'll be more extreme in the future. Yeah. I don't know. So, I got some, some questions prepared. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I wanted to start... Um, do you listen to music when you shave? Ah, uh, yeah. 
that's when I listen to more music than any other time, really. What do you What have you been listening to lately? Ooh, I go through phases, as we all do. Um, uh, well, actually, just before I left, quite a bit of Santana. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I went and saw him in concert, and I hadn't seen him for 30 years or something, so, you know, just made me re-listen to a lot of stuff. And he put out a new album not long ago with, you know, things like um, Sunshine of Your Love and all kinds of other tracks that aren't his. Yeah. And it was fantastic. So I've, I've been listening to a lot of that. Harry Manx was another one. Do you know Harry Manx? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a, a very eclectic um, musical taste, so it just depends how I'm feeling. I go right through the whole spectrum, nice. from you know basic Aboriginal, traditional ab- Aboriginal music in, in Australia, right through to jazz and classical. Do you find that that affects how the boards you you shape, or do you go do you go in when you go into the shaping bay? Do you have an idea of what you want to shape always, or it's always custom work. I yeah. only do custom work. Yeah. Apart from a couple of boards for the Patagonia store in Torquay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I have a fair idea of what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, it's all custom work, so you, you you've got a person in mind, and a lot of my work comes from people that have been ordering boards for anything from thirty years to you know five years. So I have a an understanding of what I'm trying to do for them or what they need now. Um, you know, a lot of my work, which is great, is still sort of gun work, uh, gun boards. You know, what I call gun is anything from about 6.9 up or 6.7 up, really. Do you, um, like, shaping has changed a lot in, in the sense of, like, the, the industry has become, gone to the model format, you mm-hmm. know? Whereas, I guess, when you grew up and, as, you know, over the years it's been shaping, it's been more individualized. You know, one, like, how do, you, how do you break down, like, a board for someone? You know, do you, do you get to know the person first? Or do you, do you take sometimes just blank orders? Or, you know, uh, with, with people requesting certain, like, specifics? Or do you say... Right, I know how you surf, this is what you're going to get, and that's, that's kind of it. Um, no, look, it's, it's a feeling, really. You, I, if I know the guys, yeah. pretty much up front. Yeah. You know, I want a 6-7 for such and such, you know, yeah. Indo or whatever it is. So, you know, I've got a pretty good understanding because I've been making boards for a while. But if it's someone I don't know so well, I just get a feeling for asking them what they want. They'll give me some dimensions find out their weight and that happens a bit because I, I get orders through the phone or internet email and really I just talk to them about their surfing you know how long have you been surfing where do you surf you know means a lot because yeah. if you've been surfing for a long time you've got a, a bit of single fin technique in your surfing and that, that that's a big issue mm-hmm. more front foot pressure etc and you tend to have rounder arcs and all the rest of it. Um, you know, and the same with your age, if you're over about 20 something, usually you're not trying to break the tail free, it's, it's much more linear. Mm-hmm. So they're the, they're the factors really, and, and it's, you know, it's a bit of intuitive guesswork. Mm-hmm. 
calling out some people's BS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the guy tells me he really rips, I start to wonder. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I hear that <laughs> in a day. <laughs> and, and, you know, look, I make certain kinds of boards, and people come to me expecting that kind of board. I've gotten to the point. I mean, even though they're single fins or tri-fins or quads, it's still a type of board that yeah. I make. And usually it's for really good surf. Mm. Not absolutely. Yeah. But so they know pretty much they're coming to me for that type of board. And that as I've grown older I've just stuck with that that, that general um, uh, surfboard style mm-hmm. rather than going to everything you know, like I, I I do make the single concave boards and that for the younger guys. I mean I've been doing that always, but it's not what I pursue. I'm really pursuing the offshore, chattery, ledging, sucking down, you know. Meaty waves Mm. with with a little bit of power. Yeah. Something you don't have to pump. No. They asked yesterday. (laughs) And, and, you know, look, even my own little grovel board, you know, it's six, it's a bit long actually, I've got to make a shorter one, it's it's around 6'1". It's twenty and a half, and it's two and nearly two and seven eighths, and it's wide and fat and flat, you know. So I'll I'll do that stuff, just to just to get in the water. But I don't take it serious, whereas some people do that yeah. type of surfing and that, those type of waves. I mean, especially if you're in a place where that's where you get a lot of. Like here. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's, you know, so I adapt it for them. Do you um, do you find now like because you have. Uh, such a recognized name and a reputation do you find you're able to charge a premium for your boards and have a better margin on them than you know maybe a lot of other shapers are, are able to yeah that's a good question you know, I think the boards have been too cheap for years and years and years I mean I, I in a sense I made more money in the late 60s than I do now which is relevant to the cost of living yeah. and, you know and, and materials have gone up and in Australia, our taxes have gone up on those materials, and really the wages haven't gone up. No. Um, so, you know, the guy that glasses my board has been doing it for 25, 30 years. He charges more than most people. Like, if you go up into Queensland, mm-hmm. they make boards and sell them for retail what we buy our materials for. And everybody takes such a, well, you know, virtually, not exactly, but small. And they take such small amounts of money and they produce more surfboards and they try to make it up that way. And I think that's kind of failed the industry, personally. And it's failed those people a lot of the time. A lot of the time. In the end, they just can't keep doing it because everyone's working for wages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can only pump out, you know, whatever the figure, 500 boards a year for so many years before people don't really want to buy them anymore because they're everywhere. So to get back on the yeah. um, question, I do charge more. I don't think I charge enough. No, probably not. No. And it's really hard, you know, like so many people I, I've gotten to know through my work or friends of mine, you know, it's really hard to charge people a lot of money. And, and you know, the majority of people at surf aren't very well off. They're not no. <laughs> you know, they haven't just won Cats Lotto or something like that. So, But I do I do put the price up more and I've probably got to put it up more again. 
and I think it's good because if you make the board strong and you, I mean the, the workmanship in, in the glassing and every aspect of my boards is, is just you know it's top quality and I've never had anyone complain yeah. do you think like I mean I guess like there there is this you know do you think the problem with the industry then is that the shapers are are now trying to compete with foreign you know uh, imports that are cheaper and you know I I wonder like if 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 most shapers just jacked up their prices together in unison like it would you know maybe make people think a little bit more about their boards or or you know and you know, maybe those cheap imports might come in, but at least, like, you know, the really good shapers might might be able to charge more of a premium. Like, it should be, like, considered artwork instead yeah, of, of you know, a disposable, yeah. you know, piece of equipment. Yeah. What happened in Australia, once that Chinese um, flood came, mm -hmm. so to speak, mm -hmm. it, people just everywhere, their boards were everywhere, you know, and, and guys, like plumbers would get boards sent, I'm just using it as an example because I know someone who did it, would get boards sent out from China and sell them, you know, for $400 retail when everything else was 650 or 700 and it, it just became endemic and a lot of people shut down, a lot of glass shops shut down and then suddenly something happened and one of those was this, that the boards fell apart. The shaping wasn't, the, the shapes weren't that great. So it began to sort of just go to the people, entry level people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of glasses and glass shops refused to repair the, yeah. the boards when they broke or they just out of thing. And it just found, quite quickly, it found its own level. Nice. Now, I don't know if that's true everywhere, but it was certainly true where I live. Mm -hmm. And on it, it's it's pretty. It's spread fairly far, I think. And so now it's gone back to suddenly people want custom work and they want, um, you know, they want the quality. They want to feel good about their surfboard. They like, you know, a surfboard's a beautiful thing. Very you, pleasing. You know, and you get to get something. You'll come in, you see all the workmanship in it, and the price is what say double a Chinese board that's plain or just sprayed fairly basic and. And you know it's going to fall apart, and it's quite impersonal. I think that that sense of interaction with shapers, or even if you don't have the interaction, at least you or, or a close one, you, at least you get something. And I think that's important. It's always been part of surfing. It's funny because that's in the article I wrote for you guys. Yeah, I wrote a whole thing on three D printing and the future of surfboard manufacturing and how three mm. D printers are going to eventually be able to probably print out the surfboard instead yeah. of being shaped, but then there's this disconnect, there's a like, board kind of loses soul, or loses like yeah. some sort of feeling, you know, when it's not touched by a hand, and there's something about it that it just, it becomes disposable, much like yeah. how I feel like a lot of music has become, and, and a lot of surf movies even, you know, yeah. it's all put out for cheap and free online, you go through it real quick and then you're just yeah. done with it and it doesn't have any sentimental value I guess but. you know and then look if some of the um, production boards you know if they're high tech um, construction materials mm -hmm. 
I think then it's more justifiable. Yeah. And that's why I've, I took on the surf tech thing, even though people, I got ridiculed. I, said, so I never thought you'd do that. I said, wait, I'll tell you about it. Firstly, they're not sweatshops, and they are putting materials and construction techniques that we can't do. Mm-hmm. We can't do it. Yeah. And now my boards have been reissued with um, organic foam. They've d- developed an organic foam, and they're using bamboo instead of um, foam sandwich yeah. because that's very expensive and, in, and insanely uh, um, environmentally damaging. It's really not a good process, but high density foam. And they use PVC in those sandwich molding too, which is like... Yeah. <laughs> so all that's gone, yeah. and, it's, and it's bamboo, which is, you know, is not a finite resource. Mm-hmm. And they developed an organic resin for it. So I've got this total, it's not completely organic, but man, it's so close. So, you know, and I went, yeah, this is great. This is... So you, you you're, you, like, I, I was kind of curious, I was going to ask, actually, your thoughts on, like, the being, you know, like how Bob McTavish works with Global Surf Industries. Yeah. And he has, you know, he doesn't make the boards, but he makes certain shapes and licenses it to yeah. them, I guess, and then they give him a royalty. Yeah. Like, do you think that's a pretty fair business model? Um, it's not one I would probably go to. Yeah. What I've done, what I just spoke about, yeah. that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. You know, and I've been asked to do my boards here, you know, in models, and I've, I've dabbled and I've done it with with some really, really good shapers and, that I really respect and, and great surfers over on the West Coast there. Tim Griffin was one mm-hmm. guy. And it was hard to do in, 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 a, in a world that's so, everything's so based on marketing now that you go turn around and put money into this money you know and and you're getting such a small amount out that you, again it comes down to this you got to mass produce it or at least do a lot yeah you know I just I just go it's not worth it mm. you know um, I would rather just do what I'm doing at home so you know yeah. I'm not sure I answered your question oh yeah no I mean yeah um, I always just fall back on my custom work. It's been like that for 50 years nearly, mm-hmm. and it works for me. I feel really good about it, you know, and apart from just that, that one little um, model base I have with SurfTech, I'm just happy with that. What, um, what material, materials are you working with now? Are you trying, experimenting um, with new stuff? Yeah, a little bit. It's, Australia's behind America with um, all those new phones. Yeah. You've got so many things going on over here that are really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know. The sugar-based ones. Yeah, and also recycled plastic yeah. and on and on and on. And I don't, everything, you know, everything gets taxed so much in Australia. If we try to bring it in, we can't. Yeah. Marco Farm I used. Yeah. Um, so at the those. moment it's a bit restrictive. Um, I use epoxy resins a lot yeah. just to help with longevity mm-hmm. and I know it's coming but we just have to wait it out a bit down there have you gotten sick from being exposed to a lot of the materials yeah you? I'm highly allergic to um, foam normal everyday foam um, all my mates say I'm allergic to work but <laughs> uh, <laughs> who, who is it man <laughs> come on <laughs> So you have a, an acute reaction when you have to go. 
Oh, man, and they're true. It's true. <laughs> I, s- I confess. They have a vaccination for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six months in Indo, six months in Fiji. It works. No, I got really sick from the foam and um, ended up, it, it, it broke my immune system down. And I, for nearly two years, I was sick all the time with the flu. Mm-hmm. Couldn't work out why. And as soon as I could go to work, I'd go back to work. You know, I'd get really bad doses. You know, when you get the, this flu and this flu. Oh, yeah. And as soon as I'd go back to work, it'd come back on. You know, I might get a week at work and then bang, I'd be down. And it went on for nearly two years until it got to the point I, I couldn't surf. But one, in the end, I, couldn't, I didn't surf for seven months. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even paddle out. I had no energy. And when they finally... You know, I thought I had leukemia or something quite serious. And it was my immune system had been just broken down and they discovered um, things like acetone in my cell structure. uh, Yeah, right throughout my entire, and I was, yeah. It took took about eight months to recover. And now I've got to wear, um, have you ever seen the wood lathe workers? Mm -hmm. Probably not, you know what? Yeah, yeah they build it for them because yeah. I'm getting um, nasal cancer yeah. from the dust. From yeah. The, so I've got that, you know, with a little pack on the back. Yeah. And I'm meant to wear a asbestos removal suit with it. Like the one you wore in litmus? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I don't much. It's tough, I would imagine, yeah, to hot, shave. Even with an air conditioner on. Cool. It just, but, um, I keep my shaping room like a studio, like that thing's pretty clean. You know, you walk, people walk in there and just go, wow, it's not like a, it's a shaping room, you know, or a, or a, or a uh, workshop. To make your, fun, your sun sweep up? Yeah, got a vacuum, you know. <laughs> sprinkle, sprinkle a little bit of dust when they come, pretend I've been working. <laughs> the cobwebs on the planer give me away. You know, so when I'm, I'm planing, you know, it's in, in a, it goes into a big bin. Yeah. So the only dust I'm putting in that room is all the handwork. Nice. You know, there's, so there's ways around it to minimise it. And you know, I'd bin it up, and there's been a guy collecting that dust and using it for insulation in fridges. Oh, that's great. So, you know, there's ways to help things a little bit. But. What um, so I want to change gears a little. Um, what was it like for you to 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 have to go back? You. Let me rephrase it. You seem like someone who thinks, who's pretty much in the present and maybe forward thinking. You don't seem like someone who, who dwells on the past or thinks a lot about it. No. What was it like for you to be making this movie and have to revisit all of those memories and, and, and all, all the things you've experienced? It's ironic you say that because that was one of the speeches I gave. When he wanted asked me to, to make it, yeah. I said, "Well, I'll, you know, that's, you know, I'll talk about something to do with the past, you know, but not. I don't live in the past. I don't. Doesn't have a sort of, you know, I don't glorify it. Yeah. I'm, I'm fairly objective about what it was like. I mean, it was a great era. I mean, yeah. It can never happen again. Those pioneering years. I'm very envious. Years <laughs> don't. They're the. No matter what, you know what. Um, Activity it is for sailing and skiing, you know everything in our in our world. Yeah. The pioneering era is really unique; it, it can never be repeated. So yeah. I have a lot of 
fondness for that and, and respect mm-hmm. and gratitude. Yeah. But I don't dwell back there. You know, it's, there's no point. There's nothing to be gained by that. And that's why I don't do much true retro work. Even my single things, they're not retro yeah. single things. Only one is. Yeah. And um, I say it to people, I say, the boards weren't better then, or this, nothing was better. Yeah. I can tell you, don't, because it was a bit of a, I'm chopping and changing here, I'm sorry. But, you know, what? No, go. But, you know, there was a period there where people came to me and said, oh, I want you to make this, and, and, and the the feeling I had was that they were sort of alluding that the boards was better than, the surfing was better, and I go, no, no, no. It wasn't at all. I mean, I know how hard I worked and, and, and people like Ted Spencer and Bob McTavish and, you know, other people, Lee Wines, how hard we worked to make it better. And, and and I said it the other night, I mean, last night, you yeah. know, I was just obsessed with it. Anything that got in the way of, of trying to work out what it took to get to where I knew we could get to, I just pushed it away and I just... You know, I didn't care if I was broke or I had nothing. I was just going to go there until I could find it. And I never really got there. Old age came along a bit quick. <laughs> but, you know, I remember the hard work and the disappointments and the frustration. And I know that the boards often didn't work. And I, to look back at that as some, at that level, mm-hmm. as some sort of glory is, I just can't know. Not like that at all. Do you ever get envious of the, the kids now? Oh, all the time. <laughs> Every time I see them take off in a free fall already in a crouch and they can pull on that rail and stuff like that. And I just go, so is that your vision you when, you say, when you say, like, I have this vision for, like, where we could go? Was yeah. that what you were thinking? Yeah. You know, like it, you know, and in that film I talk about, you know, getting dreams and visions and, mm-hmm. and seeing it and never quite getting to where I knew it could be because as soon as I started doing certain things or I'd fluke something or I might even do it a few times it was hard to get back and do it again and suddenly I would make another board thinking okay that's what it's going to take to get to that all the time Mm -hmm. and the board wasn't as good as the one I last had and so suddenly I wasn't even getting anywhere near it and months and months would go by and make another board and get more confused and more lost and more what's going on, you know, and that's was part of that period and that's what we were going through. And, you know, like in that film, we've just taken a few shots out of many to show some of them, you know, when it was working a little bit better, mm-hmm. what I was trying to get to. But, man, I could, I could take you two hours of the most boring, ordinary surfing because the boards were... I was sticking to the face and, and bogged down and all that freedom and speed and looseness that we might have had at one point had gone for a while because of the, the bottom curves, mostly in the bottom shape. Were there any moments where you felt like it all clicked? Oh, with yeah. the board, wave, performance, you know, yeah. kind of where you're surfing almost at 100%, I guess? I don't know about the word 100%. <laughs> But where it just felt right, the yeah. feeling was right, and, the, and yeah, there'd just be a little period right through it all, you know, right through the 60s, 70s, where, where that would happen. Um, 
you know, even in that film, there's just a couple of waves where I can tell what's happened. There's one in Mauritius that I love, the one with the cutty, and I go back into that barrel. Mm -hmm. I, it might sound ridiculous. I remember that day and I remember that session. That, that session was taken late at night. I'd been surfing all morning. I was just exhausted. It was like only three hours or four hours in the morning. And I was just came in. I actually changed boards because the swell went down. And that that next day it was flooding again. That was the only really good day I had in, a, in six weeks we were there. <laughs> and all the footage from the morning didn't come out. It's gone. I forgot what happened to the camera or something. But anyway, you know, and then there's a couple of quite ordinary waves in that and I wish we hadn't used. But you can just see the, the difference. There'd just be one really kind of inspired turn wave and then couple where I'm just kind of feeling it out and the way it's not that great because my surfing's really like that I was never very complete you know not like these guys nowadays particularly um, if the wave didn't interest me I, I, I just floated along you know kind of you know, wanted to stand up and do what I wanted and mm -hmm. I didn't really get into it that was you know I'd just be cruising along and you know just enjoying it but there were certainly those moments um, and that board was a bit of a revival of a board I had a couple of years before and I'd gotten so sick of everything else that I went back to that principle and, re and refined it and that was the beginning of better surfing again. It looked like um, from the footage when you went up to, what was it, Red Bluff? The yeah. Bluff? That board looked like it was working really yeah. nice for you. What was that board? Um, single fin. Yeah. That was when um, the, the Simon Anderson had made the first ones. I was one of the first people to ride them, and I had one with me, which is a couple of shots of that as well. Yeah. There's one I'm going along. Noticing that, I was like, that's a Simon Anderson logo. That yeah. doesn't look like something you shaped. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I didn't ride it all the time. I'd mix it up a lot, mm -hmm. and those bigger waves. Back then, the angles of the fins, you know, hadn't been worked out. That yeah. was the first, Yeah. that was the very beginning. I mean, I don't think there's probably only six of us surfing mm -hmm. on those boards at that point. And the, the fin angles were such that, you know, when the wave got really big, yeah. the board had just slowed right down. Mm -hmm. you, you, couldn't, um, you couldn't get it driving. And, you know, you'd roll from rail to rail and just go, it's like putting brakes on sometimes. So I kept riding that single fin. And especially on those really driving um, barrels at, at Red Bluff, you know, I, I'd still prefer the single fin then because you just you could sit in there and just go and go and go. And sadly, there's no shots of that because we had a couple of days at Red Bluff where the, the waves were coming from right over and just you know, like sometimes you wouldn't even make them at the last bit; it'd just, it'd just grab you at the end. But the whole ride, you wouldn't couldn't even see outside the. Opening. Just bending so much. Yeah, so the single fin was fine. I mean, all you're doing is taking off, sliding under the edge and driving. Um, and I think Jack got a few of those, but because we just look at the way, there was one person who doesn't come out, you know. I mean, I didn't care. I thought it was fantastic. I'm not, you know, I don't sort of see surfing as a performance. It's a, you know, it's a relationship and it's a lot of things. So... I didn't care. I think I even said to Jack, well, put one in there and tell them I'm in there. And he said, well, how are they going to know? And I said, well, well, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, going back to, like, revisiting, like, 
Was it difficult revisiting the, the more difficult times, you know, where like you had to go into hiding and, um, you know, and obviously the more, you know, sadder, sadder moments? Uh, no, it wasn't difficult. I, I, if you're going to do a film like that, because that film's about me, it's not yeah. through my eyes, it's, yeah. it's a, you know, um, so the only, the only thing about any of that that I did regret a bit is that I didn't get to articulate certain, um, things that had happened or, or things I was trying to do more fully, because mm-hmm. the film has to move, it's a nature of a film, yeah. it, it, has to move on unlike yeah. a book where you can expand it and you don't have to read it from cover to cover and mm-hmm. so that was probably my biggest regret with the film but the actual talking about those things uh, didn't bother me too much even though my daughter's accident you know I feel it very strongly because I came around the corner and yeah. found it like I had to climb in the car and go through the whole thing so and we all ended up with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, but, you know, the one thing, and Craig was really good about this, he said, you know, we've got to show real life. And I said, yeah, that's the only way, only way I'll do it mm-hmm. is if we really show what it's like. I mean, we live in an era where celebrity and all the rest of it's quite profound in our, in our culture. And I'm big on showing the real, the real story. Yeah. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, and unlike the original film, I'm all of them. <laughs> and you know, I think I was quite happy with that. And uh, I, I would have gone more into certain things. Mm-hmm. And there were certain things I wanted to talk about that I couldn't because Craig just wouldn't submit to it. <laughs> um, you know, things like the drug thing, I thought needed to be talked about more. I mean, our, our society is just riddled with it now, and I just got it all out of my life a long, long time ago. And I've had so many friends just fall by the wayside, and I've seen so many problems. And I just thought it was worth talking about it honestly and openly, but it just got that little... Little mention, but not... Yeah. And I was a bit disappointed. Um, for instance, Charlie Bartlett, you know, a good friend of mine, talked about LSD, and, and it just sort of finishes with him talking about it. But I actually know Charlie really well, and Charlie will say over and over now, he said, "Geez, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't do it now." But it seemed a little glorified, almost. Yeah, and that bothered me. Yeah, it really bothers me in that film, and I, I had a few moments with Craig where I said, "No, you know, and I just, I don't like that." Um, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do regardless of what someone like myself says, but I think of little kids watching it or or whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. I go, well, I want them to know what that really is and what the consequences are. I mean, so many good surfers and, and people I know that did surf have just fucked their life up, you know. Yeah. They're not right, that's okay. But, I mean, not the word, the word, so I don't need to swear, that, you know, but, you know, really their lives are ruined. Yeah. Finished. And Michael Peterson was a perfect example. Yeah. That's a real shame. People go, oh, he was sick and he started taking drugs. It's, that's not set true. Off. Not true. I knew Michael really well and I knew what he was into and how early and how much. And 
even his mum said recently after he died, it was the drugs that screwed him up, it wasn't. I mean, he had a capacity, obviously, for schizophrenia. That's, that's Sometimes the drugs will unlock that rather that's than... That's what it did. Yeah. And it didn't just unlock it, it just... Unleashed it. You know, that was it. You know, and Keith Paul, you yeah. know, you guys, do you, yeah. you're too young for all this time. I know, <laughs> I am... He knows a little more history than I do. I'm, I'm a surfing rain man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I could apply it to other parts of my life, but I can't, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> well, Keith Paul, you know, yeah. underrated, brilliant surf, really underrated. Oh, Hardly any footage of him. I know. And, and the guy was one of the very, very best. I, I mean, it, it, as good as anyone. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look what it did to him. Same thing. And Keith was lived such a clean life. He, he might have a glass of wine every four or six weeks or something. At the most, that would be even an exaggeration probably. And certainly in that late 60 or, you know, 67, 68, when it was becoming a bit fashionable to smoke dope, you wouldn't touch anything. Uh -huh. And then suddenly he got into LSD and the next time I saw him, he was just not in good shape and then it got worse and worse and boom. You know, I mean, I could sit and talk about this for hours yeah. because this is one after the other after the other. And, um, yeah, so, and, and, you know, the thing that I wanted to say in that film was that, you know, there seems to be an assumption in, in, by certain people that all, a lot of creativity that took place, you know, back in the late 60s and that, whether it be music or art or surfing drugs was yeah it was somehow influenced by taking whatever drugs as as a as a means to enhance creativity and it's not mm -hmm. it's true at all you know in fact they don't enhance creativity at all you know and um there's another word i can't find right now you know or, or produce creative mm -hmm. at all in yeah. fact i think it's the opposite and like that's what I wanted to say in that yeah. film. I wanted to go, no. But anyway, we didn't get there, so. Well, we have it in the interview now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I, look, whatever people do, whatever I say may not make any difference, but I, I just think, you know, as a, as a sort of aspect of integrity, I have to say what I believe, and that's, that's something important to me. Because, I mean, I, you know, obviously, I admit to it there, it's smoking, yeah. you know. Do you think surfing enhances creativity? Surfing does. The, ex the yeah. act of surfing. Um, well, it's a creative act. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's expressive. You're expressing how you feel and how you relate to the wave. And There's a lot of surfers who are just not very creative on the wave, you know? That's, yeah. you know, that's true. That doesn't make you a yeah. particularly creative surfer, yeah. but it is an expressive action. Right. You know? And I think that's something that has probably got lost a little bit. I mean, at home, I, I haven't got to see people surfing because I haven't been surfing, there's no surfing, but even at the ranch there was no out because it was so small. But at home you can see guys, they're starting to do their first turn before they get to their feet. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? Like, it, oh, you know, and, it, and it's just like, oh, slow down, relax. <laughs> just let it come to you, mate. You know, it's not about how many turns you're going to do on that wave. You're missing, I mean, this is guys that aren't top level, you know, yeah. not just because get it sometimes and other times I'll talk to guys that get my boards about it you know especially when they're trying to find 
how my board goes, you know, the sweet spot, so to speak. And, um, you know, they understand it, generally speaking, but, boy, you see some ugly surfing in Australia now. It's not you know, just Australia. Huh? It's not just Australia. No. It's because everyone grew up on th- is growing up on thrusters rather than single fins, I think. Yeah, and they're trying to just do as many turns as they can. We single fin teaches you how to read a wave properly and how to find the power spot. And feel your rail. Whereas a thruster, you generate your own speed. Yeah. So people will butt wiggle to generate that yeah. speed because they grow up on on a thruster yeah. Yeah. rather than something that's more stable yeah. and also something you don't have to move to get speed. Single yeah. fins just do, do all the work. Yeah. And everyone should be learning on that, I always yeah. felt. Well, that's the one good thing about what the way people are experimenting now with everything. Yeah. That's 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 a part of surfing, modern surfing today, I, I really like. It's, it's very open-minded, mm. you know, when it comes to design, I guess, yeah. you know, which is pretty exciting, yeah. I think. It's fantastic. I yeah. mean, my, my son rides a layers and all, you know, I don't know how, how anyone can ride that. <laughs> 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 it's hard, man. But, you know, and... and I remember when he first started doing it, I said to him, this will really improve your surfing because you're, 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 all you've got is the edge. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and he said to me afterwards, he said, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. When I get on the thruster, I can really feel a rail now, mm-hmm. not just spin. So, yeah, no, it's good. That's one of the real positives. What, um, I'm talking about the selfishness of surfing, you know, and one is like, how do you, Keep your wife happy when you don't show up for Christmas ten, <laughs> for a week. <laughs> you know, like I, I guess, um, like you know, how I mean, it, it's definitely a very selfish pursuit sometimes. And and you, watching that film, you can, I can't help but think like you were quite quite selfish at, at yeah. certain points. That's what I said before. I was so obsessed by just if the conditions came, mm-hmm. there was nothing short of illness or some serious thing in my life that you know, I'd attend to. Do but anything else, sorry, this is, you know, you know this day's not going to come again, this is, you know, I'm talking about great, yeah. not just going for surf. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I can't uh, really sit here and justify it. Yeah. And, well, and, you know, and do you have any... And you're just, you know, you're obsessed, you're in love with what you're doing and you're trying to get there to that what I was talking about, that, that level of understanding, and I think Lindy pretty much understood that. She was always good like that. It's incredible. I mean, I know my wife would, she gets upset when I say I'm going to be home at 10 and I get home at 11. <laughs> Three days later. <laughs> wow, I wish. Oh, man. We were, we were, we were after the movie, we were up with Dave and I were like, how do you, how do you get your wife to be okay with that, you know? It's like, it's, I mean, it's funny, but it's also like, do you ever have regret, like, when you blew off things to go surfing? Do you, were there any things where you, mm. you wish you had, hadn't missed because of surfing? Or do you ever feel like, God, you know, surfing sometimes is really getting in the way of other greater things in my life or things that I could be doing? No. No, not really, to be honest. <laughs> 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 May I be crucified? 
<laughs> she's lucky she just went out the door a little while. <laughs> um, no, look, as I said, I was very lucky. Lindy yeah. was really good like that. I think, I think right from the start, there was never any doubt about how I was. Yeah. I mean, I've always been pretty honest about mm-hmm. that whatever state I'm in, that, you know, this is yeah. it. You want to come along for the ride? Well, okay. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was her choice, in a sense. That's how I am. I, I know that sounds really mercenary, and it is, yeah. I guess, but that's just how I was. Are I, you I still that now way? I'm the opposite. Yeah. I'd put everything else first. Nice. When was... And that, was that the moment when you first had your kids? That you From that point on. Yeah? Is it just like a switch for you, or was it... A little it, bit, yeah. Was it a little bit of, like, kind of negative reinforcement I guess like consequences from making like no no it was just came naturally it was a thing I was you know I never wanted to have kids I gotta tell you you got no idea you've seen a man kick and squeal and (laughs) go down fighting right to the bitter end (laughs) I just go you can't do this to me (laughs) I think this is the end <laughs> and you know, I remember my famous well, I said, "This is forever. They don't just go away." <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a pet after 15 oh, years, you know. <laughs> I just go, "Oh my God, here we go." Anyway, you know, and I, I just, I'm, I'm you know, part lunatic. How am I going to bring up kids? But no, I was there at the births for both the kids, and I just think. It just struck me just what that process of life is, and, and you know and the pain that the woman goes through to give birth, and you know and the whole that whole dynamic of, of creative processes yeah. that is life. And then and kids, you know, once they get past just crying and shitting and pissing, <laughs> um, once they get old enough to you know, understand what's going on around them, you know, especially I live in the bush, so, yeah. you know, they became fascinated with, you know, they start with the ants, because they're down so low all the time, <laughs> and then lizards, and then, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated by life myself, so I really identified with them, and it, and it just brought out a whole um, dynamic in my own um, makeup that that, that really um, was inspiring because they're so creative mm-hmm. kids, you know, especially after about four, before they get too locked into school. Yeah. You know, and I think, and when they got a little bit older, I think because I had so much attention at a very young age with surfing, you know, like I was only fifth, barely 15 at the start, and that's young, even yeah. younger, really, but on a local level, younger, but. You know, internationally, it's 16. It's crazy. And it's 16. If you can think back, you know, you are still a kid. And I think when my kids grew up a little bit, it was a way for me to sort of relive part of my childhood. That that you missed out on? Yeah, I wouldn't say I missed out on because, you know, just a lot of years that I was carrying um, that the weight of that attention mm-hmm. you know you're just trying to sort yourself out so yeah. as a person and grow into adulthood and, and you've got all this other stuff just landing on expectation and you know 
our attention and just go, wow, what's going on? And, you know, it was, it was another way for me to kind of live through that and, and recapture it without any, any, any burden or whatever the word is. Got to experience some go to prom. <laughs> no. That's some of the experiences I didn't regret missing out on. <laughs> How did you introduce them to surfing? Um, I never wanted to push Jarrah. They both, even Marinda surfed when she was really young. Yeah. Uh, I just put it in front of them and just went, no, I'm not going to push them. I, I didn't want my kids to uh, live out some aspect of my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the important thing is just to support, to support them in their life. And it looked like Jarrah wouldn't surf. He took very little interest in it. You know, I'd, I'd take him surfing and I'd kind of go, yeah, this is pretty cool. Like, have you know, blah, blah. And I nearly drowned him a couple of times. When <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was just, you know, pretty full on for a little kid. And it really turned him off. You know, he didn't go near it for three or four months. And, twice and then twice again later when he was a bit older and into it but he, he pushed through all that so and then he just suddenly one day went mm, no I'm gonna I'm gonna surf and I think it was more because his mates at school were really into it yeah you know so it's, yeah, it's always something I've always been curious about like with parents teaching their kids because it's like I know some parents who force them and yeah. some who are lay off and it's like how do you do that? How do you find that balance so you yeah. can enjoy it? What about like, I mean, it must be, I wonder what, what it's like for your kids to have like, I mean, you are kind of a larger in life character in a sense, you know, not, not to like, you know, like you, you have a reputation and you're very well known, like, do you ever think about that and like, do they, or do you ever think about like, how maybe they, if they feel any pressure to fulfill a certain legacy or fill in, uh, foot, 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 follow in your footsteps or fill in your shoes in some ways. Yeah, I, I thought about that a bit, um, especially with Jared because he serves. And I've always said to him, you know, it's just, right, like, okay, wait a minute, I'll go back another step. Yeah. You know, I don't really live my life in a way that that's particularly, um, Obvious, mm-hmm. you know where I live, or, you know and the people that are around us. I'm just, just normal. You're not like in the Gold Coast, and everyone's yeah. like, yeah. you're not followed by paparazzis or anything. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that has been really positive for them for that in that way. And I mean, I never think about it. Yeah. I don't. I'm not aware of it until something happens or someone asks me something, and they go, oh, okay, oh yeah, right, right, <laughs> yeah, and. Um, I talked to them about it from a very young age. Um, you know, I, I gave them, I said, look, fame's fine. If it comes to you at whatever level, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but don't pursue it, don't grasp for it, and don't think it makes you special. Mm. You know, kind of like you're special just like everybody else, yeah. sort of thing. You know? And I, I talked to them a lot about that um, in fear of something arriving, you know, arising in um, in their life that would put pressure on them because it's the last thing they want, you know. And I think Jarrah experienced it a little bit when he first started surfing. And he, I think he said a few things to him and said, just don't worry about it. 
you don't have to be you don't have to prove anything especially not to prove anything to me or yourself don't worry about what they say and that's part of that thing about living your own life it's one of the, you know because I saw it happening and I said no no just 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 count on it'll go away don't worry <laughs> and it did yeah um yeah, you know, look at home, I see, you know, the ugly parent syndrome at, at football matches, just about running onto the footy over, the, you know, stuff, just... Surfing to go, wow, what are you doing, you know? Let the kid have fun, let him grow yeah. up, let him... So, yeah. I think because of that thing I said about pressure on my own life, so young... You were very aware of it. Yeah, just really aware of it. Mm. That's really nice. That's really cool. How, how old is Jared? 23. What is, what is uh, if you don't mind, like what is what is he interested in? Um, oh, he's a really good drummer. Um, he's in a band. Nice. He's been since they were about 17, I think. 16. Um, he's learning to shape. Um, he, he's got all kinds of qualifications in sport. Um, like, uh, you know, he can be a personal trainer and he can do all that stuff but he doesn't do it he just went and is fully qualified he used to teach surfing um, he's doing a bit of modeling nice. and you know just generally being a 23 year old he's got a job at an american diner believe it or not no way where, we live. where? tiny little town in areas in that right yeah. right near where we live you know that's Nice little greasy spoon. Yeah, it's a true American <laughs> diner. The guy, the guy's got sixty antique cars. Epic. He's a millionaire. He's got a um, freighting business, and so he built this thing as a sort of a hobby business. So he works in that. You know, That's awesome. Next year, I don't know what he'll do, but he, he'll take on something in the next few years. I, I'm quite sure that um, you know it'll be whatever it really takes his interest. The last questions. One, do you still wear sweaters with collars underneath? <laughs> my brother and I used to emulate you. Like, you in high kiss? school, I was doing that. Like, I still do it, and my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Wade Lynch wore this. I was actually hoping you'd be wearing that for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Man, my kids go, Dad, what are you doing? You see the old photo? <laughs> okay, you can understand. It was different. We didn't care. You just yeah. put on a shirt, you put on something, and you... You know, especially when you grow up in a fishing family, like yeah. that's, it's just, you just dress because it's comfortable and warm or it's, you know, you just, someone happens to take a photo of you and that's so well. <laughs> My brother and I, we, we did it. I still do it. <laughs> I love it, man. I, yeah. I walk out. I, this is going to sound dorky, but I, I walk out and I'm like, yeah. Wayne Lynch, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my kids, my kids just hate it. They run the shit out of me. <laughs> um, I always ask these questions when I do interviews. Um, they're a bit cheesy, but they're fun. They're based off of um, this Inside the Actors Studio questionnaire, and I certified it. So um, I'm going to ask you these. What is your favorite surf term? Favorite surf term? My yeah. goodness. I would never even thought about this ever. Yeah. Stump Tom Kern. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I've got one. Maybe. Um, 
I don't know. I couldn't honestly say I have a favourite surf term. I don't know. It depends in the context you would ask that, really. <laughs> can, you, can you narrow that down? What, I mean, like, what do you... Like, if you get a sick barrel, like, what do you say after? Like, what do you... Like, I'm so fucking stoked, or am I this? You know, I don't say anything at all. I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty austere like that. Um, you, if you have nothing, it's okay also. Well, but the, term, no I, the term I want to say, yeah. or the term that I, I, I look forward to saying yeah. is it's perfect. That's it. Perfect. <laughs> What's your least favorite? It's crowded. And if uh, heaven exists... What sort of wave would you like to surf forever? Cloud break at 10 foot, about four times as long, or twice as long. Big paddle out, I've got to shorten it right up a bit there. Good on you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And that was Wayne Lynch in all his glory. Uh, We hope you enjoyed that interview with him. Uh, It was so fun, and I can't believe it's almost 10 years ago since I did that interview. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this uh, bonus section to Hardcore Surf History. Uh, Don't forget to check us out and follow us on Instagram at Hardcore underscore Surf History. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch you uh, next time. Uh, We are cooking up another episode. Hopefully we'll have that out soon. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, of course, uh, go to surfsplendor.com and check us out. Uh, You know, um, where David Lee Scales uh, hosts this awesome show, and he's got other great podcasts. And if you need to write us or do anything, you can DM us on Instagram or Facebook. you know, you can write uh, David Scales on Surf Splendor and he'll send it to our way. Uh, give us good feedback, bad feedback, whatever you'd like. But uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on uh, Wayne Lynch as a reluctant messiah. And um, yeah, and we hope you enjoyed this uh, little bonus section and we'll check you out next time. Cheers. It's the time that I spend alone Sailing on the cool and bright clear waters It's kind of a special place